Well, ready or not, it's Christmas. I, I mean, I know technically it's still seven days away, but let's face it. We are already neck deep in our full-on four-alarm mad dash to the Christmas finish line. We've got the Christmas music playing 24-7 on the radio. We got the blow-up Grinches and Santas all over the neighborhood. We got FedEx and UPS drivers running around till all hours of the night. Whiskey Road has turned into a demolition derby, and even a quick trip to Walmart right now would be taking your life into your own hands. It's here and it's happening, baby, whether you are ready or not. And that's why I'm so glad that you have chosen to join us today. I know this is a busy time of year, probably a lot of things you should be doing or could be doing. And so I'm so thankful that you are worshiping with us on this Christmas, week before Christmas Day. And I'm, I'm glad whether you're online, whether you're in person at one of our campuses, I really am excited that you are here. Question, have you ever wondered why we make such a big deal about Christmas? I mean, as far as holidays go, no other holiday gets near the hype of Christmas, right? There's no other holidays. We spend a month and a half getting ready to celebrate, right? I mean, the hierarchy of holidays, Christmas is king of the mountain. It makes all the other holidays seem kind of plain Jane vanilla, right? I mean, President's Day, vanilla holiday, right? You don't have carolers showing up at your house singing Hail to the Chief on President's Day, right? When, when Labor Day rolls around, you don't put inflatable plumbers or striking union workers out on your lawn, and yet we do all of that and more for Christmas. Why is that? Well, well the cynical among us would say it's all about the money right? It's the retail marketing conspiracy designed by big corporations to separate us from our money at the end of the year. And, and maybe there's some truth to that. I think that's a part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. I think part of the reason we make such a big deal about Christmas is because of what Christmas means. I mean, if it's true, if the Christmas story is true, it's a game changer, right? If the God of the universe really did wrap himself in human flesh and enter the brokenness of our world to rescue us from the very mess that we made, that changes everything. It certainly changes our view of God, of who he is and what he's like. It certainly changes the way we see our lives, the, the purpose and meaning of our lives. It is a game changer if you connect with it personally. Unless you really connect with the birth of Jesus and what it truly means personally in your life, it's never going to be more than just a hyped up holiday for six weeks every year where you spend way too much money, eat too much food, and it's, you know, a few good warm fuzzy feeling with friends and families, but it all ends when the decorations are put away and stored in the attic. Christmas is not that big a deal unless you connect with it personally. In fact, it was kind of that way the very first Christmas. 
You do know that on the night Jesus was born, it, it made almost no impact to the people around them. I mean, it was barely a blip on history's radar when it happened, right? I mean, only a handful of people who were personally involved in it really even knew anything about it. It was virtually unnoticed. Even the few people living in the little town of Bethlehem had no idea that anything significant had happened. And the same is true for us. Until we really connect with this Christmas story and the fact that it's part of a much bigger story that God is writing, it's nothing more than a big holiday. And so that's why here at Cedar Creek over the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to connect the reality of Jesus' birth to the daily realities of our life. So that that thrill of hope that we sing about this time of year can be more than just a temporary lift in our collective emotions, but yet it can be something that we could actually experience all year long. Because see, because what started in that cradle, that first Christmas morning, it would lead to a cross. And because what happened on that cross would ultimately lead to a crown, that through Jesus' victory over our two greatest enemies, sin and death, that we can have a hope that's bigger than our circumstances, and that will outlast our struggles. And so today, in this week before Christmas, I want to spend a little time together unpacking this whole idea of hope. Hope is a much-used word, especially this time of year. But I've discovered the truth is very few of us really understand what true hope is, And even fewer of us actually live in that hope all throughout the year. In fact, let me ask you, can you define hope? If I were to ask you to take out a pen and paper or take out your device and write a single sentence, clear, simple, understandable definition of hope, could you do it? Right? It's not as easy as we think It is, And so I've discovered sometimes the best way to define what something is, is to define what it is not. And so I want to begin today by looking at three things that we often think of as hope, but are actually things that are cheap substitutes for real hope. One of the things hope is not is wishful thinking. Hope is not wishful thinking. We we all have a desire for things to be different, for things to be better in our life, but the reality is we have almost no control over whether or not that happens. It's like blowing out the candles on your birthday cake, right? We hope the year is better, but we don't really control that. Or you wake up on the morning and you open up your stock tracking app, and you hope the Dow Jones is up, but you can't really do anything about it. Or you turn on your TV Saturday afternoons, and you really hope your favorite team wins the big game, but you're not part of the team. You can't really make that happen. That's just wishful thinking, but it is not hope. 
right? Another thing that we often confuse for hope that is not hope is blind optimism. Hope is not blind optimism, right? Pretending that things are really better than they are. Just focusing on the good stuff. Now look, nothing wrong with being optimistic. That's a good thing. I'm an optimistic guy. I was a lot more optimistic when I was younger. I am discovering that the longer you live, the harder it is to really stay optimistic. But I think overall, I'm still kind of a glass half full person. And that's good. But the reality is not everything is good all the time. And it really doesn't matter how much of a positive spin I put on things in my mind. There are some things that are just not good, no matter how much I try to pretend they are good, right? It's kind of like that poster. You heard about that poster for the missing dog, right? It says missing dog, missing dog, three-legged dog, missing one ear, blind in one eye, broken tail, recently castrated, answers to the name of Lucky, Right? No matter how much you call that dog lucky, the reality is he is not. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not blind optimism. And we also need to understand hope is not ambitious dreams. Hope is not just having ambitious dreams. This is a very American form of hope. Because as Americans, we all have dreams for a better life, for a better life for our children. And so we have these dreams for our future and our life. And so we set goals to achieve those dreams. And then we work hard to accomplish those goals. That's a great thing. I think everybody ought to have dreams for their life. Everybody ought to set goals and work hard to reach those goals. That's a good thing, but that is not hope. Why? Because dreams are limited, right? Sometimes the limit to my dreams is me. No matter how much I dream it, no matter what goals I set, no matter how hard I work. Like I can tell you, I have a dream of breaking 70 on the golf course, shooting something with a six in front of it. And I've had that dream since I started playing golf in college. And I've worked at it. I've taken lessons. I've videoed my swing. I watch all kind of YouTube videos. And I've gotten better, but I ain't come nowhere close. I barely break 80 every now and again on a really good day. The dream of breaking 70, I'm 60 years old now. I'm as good as I'm ever going to be at golf. I had an ambitious dream and goals I worked for them, but I limited them. Sometimes the limit of our dreams is not us, it's other people, right? You have a dream of moving up the corporate ladder, of getting up to be manager or get to that corner office. And so you work hard, you do good work and you should be moving up. But then the CEO and the board run the company into bankruptcy right? And your dreams are shattered. Or in the words of that great theologian, the late great Dolly Parton in her great song, Nine to Five, I want to move ahead, but the boss won't seem to let me. See, they're limited by us. They're limited by others. Therefore, it is not hope. Now, what's interesting to me, all three of these things that we often mistake for hope, they actually have one thing in common. Do you see the one thing that wishful thinking, blind optimism, and ambitious dreams all have in common? They're all built on what I do. 
I wish. I see the good in. I have dreams. Biblical hope is not about what I do. It is about what I have. Biblical hope is not a verb. It is a noun. In fact, probably one of the best descriptions of hope in the entire Bible is found in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to what it says. In God's mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Two things I don't want you to miss in this verse. One, it says that hope is a possession, right? It says it's something that is given to me by God and kept for me by God. Hope is a possession. But also notice it clearly says that hope is tied to the resurrection of Jesus. There's a connection between Jesus' resurrection and our hope. See, that's the hope of Christmas. It's not God in a manger. It's that God would leave that cradle to die on a cross. And then three days later, he would rise from the dead and be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. See, the power of hope is built on God's power and the promises that God has made to us. Hope is that God is willing and able to fulfill his promises to us. Christmas demonstrates that God is willing to do it. Easter tells me that God is able to do it, that he has the power to do it. See, that's the thing. Hope is not based on a change in my circumstances. It's built on the fact that God is faithful in spite of my circumstances. Let me say that again. I don't want you to miss this. Hope is not based on changes in my circumstances. It's based on the fact that God is faithful in spite of my circumstances. That's why I notice what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because he who promised is what? He is faithful. God is faithful. So with the next couple of minutes, I want us to get really practical. I want us to get down in the dirt, in the weeds of life, and look at practically what does it mean for me to live in hope. That's what a living hope is, right? That I live in that hope. Three things, you might want to write these down. Three things that living in hope means. One, it means that my past doesn't define me. Living in hope means that my past doesn't define me. So I think the reason many of us struggle to have hope for the future is because of what's happened to us in our past. Things we've done, mistakes we've made, horrible, bad decisions that we've made, or that other people have made. Things that other people have done to us in the past. Most of us live our lives like Ebenezer Scrooge's dead business partner. You know the movie, right? Based on the Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. 
The first ghost that comes to Ebenezer is not one of the Christmas ghosts. The first ghostess. Did I say ghostess? I'm not even sure that's a word. The first ghost that comes to visit Ebenezer is his old business partner. What's the guy's name? Shout it out if you know it. Right. Somebody said Bob Marley. That's a whole different sermon, okay? <laughs> Jacob Marley, right? But when Jake, the ghost of Jacob Marley shows up, what's he got all over him? He's got all these chains and weights. And so Ebenezer says, what is that all over you? And you remember his answer? He says, these are the chains I forged in my life. All the bad decisions, all the selfish things, all the yuck of my past, I am condemned to drag this through eternity. And that's what many of us are doing. Look, you cannot change your past, but you don't have to live chained to it, and it doesn't have to define your life. Look at this great promise from the Old Testament book of Lamentations. I love this phrase. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness because his mercies begin afresh each morning. What does that mean? It means that God's love and God's mercy are renewable resources. They never run out. There's never been a single moment in your life when you were not loved unconditionally by God. Never one moment, not for one second. And there's never been a sin, a failure, a mistake. There's never been anything that anybody else has done to you that is greater than God's mercy and grace to cover it and release you from it. But look, that doesn't come from just knowing about God's love and mercy or showing up on Sundays and singing about God's love and mercy. It only comes when you personally connect with it through a personal, personal intimate relationship daily with Jesus. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have gone. Everything is made new when you belong to Jesus. Who do you belong to? I mean, I know it's the Sunday school answers to say Jesus and you're, you're in church, but, but I'm asking honestly, who do you really belong to? Do you think that you belong to you? That life is about you? about what you go through, what you get, what you can have? Or maybe for some of you, it's not that you think you belong to you. You just feel like you belong to other people because their behaviors and choices continue to control your life. Listen, the hope of Christmas is that you can belong to the one who loved you enough to leave heaven and enter our world and whose mercy was so big that he was willing to suffer and die on a cross so that you would not have to be separated from him. And so as we head into this Christmas week, can I ask you just a personal question? What are you dragging with you from your past? What change are you dragging through your life. 
Are you allowing yourself to be defined by the worst moment in your life? Are you allowing yourself to be defined and controlled by the pain and trauma that others have caused you? I'm not minimizing your trauma. Believe me, I know personally, trauma is difficult and it takes a lot of work and effort to free ourselves from it. It is a big deal. But the good news of Christmas is that you are not defined by your past. You are defined by God's love for you and by his mercy to you. That's what it means to live in hope. Number two, the second thing that living in hope means is that my fear and anxiety don't control me. My fear and anxiety don't control me. I don't know if you're paying attention or not, but fear and anxiety have reached record levels in our culture today. Psychiatrists, counselors, and pastors are telling us they're seeing more and more people with anxiety disorders. In fact, they are diagnosing anxiety disorders in children younger and younger. According to the National Council of Mental Well-Being, children as young as seven are being diagnosed with anxiety disorder. That's the second grade. Now, there's a lot of debate about that, those stats and about what causes it. You know, we've been through a global pandemic. We've got the internet, social media, uh, all of these things in our culture. I, I don't know the cause, but I do know the cure. And the cure is hope. Because see, here's the thing. Hope is not the absence of fear and uncertainty. Hope is focusing on God's faithfulness when I'm afraid and uncertain. The reason I say there's a great picture of that from the story of Jesus' birth with the shepherds in Bethlehem that first Christmas, right? You know that part of the story, right? They're out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. They're just doing their job, what they did every day. They're working a graveyard shift, like always, watching over the sheep. And all of a sudden, this very normal night turns very abnormal. Luke 2, 9. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were what? Terrified. I love the old King James. They were sore afraid. I have no idea what it means to be sore afraid. I guess it's you're so afraid, your muscles are so tense, you're sore the next day. I don't know, I'm making that up. But they were afraid. Here, here, this is so important, don't miss this. It's so easy for us to look at people who struggle with fear and anxiety and just say, well, they're weak. You know, this younger generation, they don't know how to manage life. They don't, they don't know how to cope. They're just weak. But understand, these shepherds, they ain't weak. They're not timid. They're not a bunch of snowflake scaredy cats. These are hardcore, blue-collar, outdoor men. They lived outdoors most of the year. They took on lions and tigers and bears, oh my, often with their bare hands or maybe with just a shepherd's stuff. These are some commando bad dudes, right? And yet this angel shows up and they're scared to death. My point is fear and anxiety is not the result of our weakness. 
Fear and anxiety is almost always the result of facing something that we've never faced before. The reason these guys were not afraid of lions and tigers and bears is because they had dealt with lions and tigers and bears. They had never dealt with an angel, and when that angel showed up, it rocked their world. Listen, I I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but the last three years, every one of us have been facing things that we've never had to face before. A public health crisis, political unrest like we've never seen in our country, financial instability. Those are all things that become the new normal for our daily lives. The question is not do we face uncertainty. The question is what are we going to do with it? What do you do with the uncertainty of life? You focus on the certainty of God's faithfulness. By the way, that's why the angel didn't just say to the shepherds, don't be afraid, suck it up, buttercup. But the angel also said, go and see God's faithfulness for yourself. Right? You remember what the angel said? Today in the city of David, your Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And when the angel disappeared, what did the shepherds do? They went to check it out for themselves. And notice the result. After seeing this living breathing, tangible example of God's faithfulness. Luke 2.20, it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. See, when you personally connect with Jesus' birth, when you see this living, breathing, tangible example of God's love and faithfulness, it doesn't take your fear away. It just turns your worry in to worship, just like it did these shepherds. Look, I don't know the uncertain circumstances that you are facing this Christmas. Some of you are probably facing your first Christmas without that loved one, the missing stocking on the mantle, the empty chair at the Christmas table. Maybe you're facing your first holidays since the divorce or the separation. Maybe you are facing financial uncertainty in the new year. You've got some uncertainty about your job. Some of you are facing uncertainty about your health. And because you've never dealt with this stuff before, it's creating fear and anxiety. But what I want you to know, what we're celebrating with Christmas, is that the more you focus on God's promises the more you can live in hope, even in your fear and anxiety. And then finally, number three, the third thing that living in hope means is that my future is secure. My future is secured. And that's good news because hope is all about the future, right? You can't really separate hope from what we expect in our future, And the good news of Christmas is that God's promise that started in a cradle and was fulfilled on a cross leads to an eternal crown through Jesus. That's why I love this great promise from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. 
They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. And while this promise was made specifically to the nation of Israel at a time when their future was very much uncertainty, understand that through Jesus we have access to this promise. Not that everything's going to go good and nothing's going to go bad. It's that the story ain't over until it's over. That's the hope. Look, I'm no psychic. I don't have a crystal ball. But guess what? There are two things I can guarantee you about your future if you are a follower of Jesus. One, I can guarantee you in your future, your life will be meaningful. Your life will have purpose, a purpose greater than you and a purpose greater than your circumstances, whether your circumstances are good or bad. It's not wasted. In Christ, our lives are not wasted. They're never meaningless. There's no meaningless suffering and pain in Christ Jesus because he's moving and working and somehow using it for his glory and our ultimate long-term good. That's why Jesus said in John 10.10, I came to give life Real life, not just going through the motions, not just surviving, not just trying to get through the day. I came to give life in all its fullness. I don't know what's going to happen to you in your future, but I can guarantee you, your future will be meaningful and purposeful. You know what else I can guarantee you about your future in Christ? That you will spend eternity with Jesus. That your life on this earth is not all that there is. All the bad things, all the pain, all the trauma, all the struggles is not the end of the story that God is writing on the pages of your life. Because Jesus didn't just enter the broken messiness of our world, but he came to rescue us from it for all eternity. Love this verse from a a very unknown book in the New Testament, Titus, the letter of Paul to Titus. Titus 3, 7, look what it says. Being made right with God by his grace, we could have the hope of receiving the life that never ends. Where is your hope today? What are you anchoring your hope in? Are you anchoring it in your own abilities to manage and deal with whatever comes your way? Are you anchoring your hope to the political direction of this nation? Have you anchored your hope to your bank account, your 401k, or your talent to make more money? Or are you anchoring your hope to the God who is faithful to always finish what he started in you and in your life. That's what it means to live in hope. Would you pray with me? Wow, Jesus, thank you for just even reminding me again as I teach this and as I read these promises of the hope that we have, a living hope. And I thank you, Lord, that it's not about our temporary circumstances It's not about what other people have done to us. It's not about our past. But we have a hope for a future with you. And so, Father, I pray as we go into this week of Christmas,
Then in the midst of all the busyness, all the fun, all the celebration, all the things we do that we would not forget to remember we're celebrating a cradle that led to a cross that leads to a crown. We thank you, Jesus, for the living hope we have in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.